is it the Babylon Five is mm-hmm. rip off? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's there. Mm-hmm. Contentious. <laughs> Contentious. Let's be let's walk this fucking Someone tightrope. is ripping off someone and it's between <laughs> Babylon 5 and, and Deep, Deep Space, Space Nine. Nine. And I would love to watch Babylon 5 because it would probably just feel like uh like a low budget weirder Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I th- I think from my memories of Babylon 5, it's like conceptual like conceptually awesome garbage. Um <laughs> And you know what's the, you know what we do need to point out is the similarities between Deep Space Nine and Babylon Five. <laughs> Let's is, this is the episode. We're unpack this. No, no, We're gonna do no, it no, right no. now. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. The similarities between Babylon Five and Deep Space Nine is they both have numbers in their title. Right. Okay. And they're both in space, and they're space stations. And uh, okay. Yeah. I was trying to do a segue. Like a, and there's like gym. a portal. And, and there's like to the, to the episode. Yeah, I was trying to do a neat segue to the episode. Okay. And, it was um, really clunky. Gear change. Theme <laughs> did- song. Theme song. Go. Play. Yeah, Label facing in. Well, I don't know. I, I sort of did a cheeky and um. Oh, you're drinking out of the other Sam. I am. Gray. I am the other Sam Gray. And I'm drinking out of the other Sam Gray. Wow. Yeah. Which one of you is which? I can tell because I can see you, and the audience <laughs> can tell because they can hear you. Yeah, because we are not the same person, as much as we have the same name. It's an opportunity to impersonate each other here. I and can't. We're not take <laughs> don't take it. That's a tight rope that you don't want to walk. And also, could be contentious depending on how that goes. Well, let's skip that and jump right to welcome everybody to the Music and Everything podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We're here to discover what's awesome about stuff. We look into topics that we don't know a great deal about, find out as much as we can so that we can find out what it is that makes it sing. My name is Jim. I'm here with the mighty learned power couple that is the Sams. And today we're going to talk about a topic that is very close to my heart and possibly causing damage to it. Uh, this topic actually makes me nauseous to think about and I'm really <laughs> I'm concerned about how this is going to go. Samantha is our chief investigator today. Samantha, why don't you tell the good people what we're talking about? Well, as Is I- Is that a drum fill or like it was a, a drum roll. centipede running away? <laughs> I was thinking that was like a film click. I'm trying to, I, I don't know. I didn't have too much time to prepare a drum roll. <laughs> okay. it's like it's a horse. Which, I mean, anyway, we're talking about numbers. <sighs> um, and it's interesting that you say it's like we don't know a lot about because uh, perhaps something that people don't know about me is that I did a math minor at university. So I actually- I say we. I kind of meant me <laughs> in a collective sense. Um, no, but it's, it's interesting because I think that, like, I almost didn't want to be CI for this because I love maths and numbers. And what I already you do. You're worried about bias. Yeah. So I'm worried that, like, so I'm, I'm like, is this episode going to just be me trying to convince you guys how cool numbers are? But I don't think so because I think it's going to be apparent. I don't think I'm going to have to convince you of much. All right. Um, well, I to, I just, uh, so when I see a spreadsheet, I can taste blood. Is that's all I'm saying. Well, I think you should see a doctor about that. <laughs> okay, um, I don't think that's related to the <laughs> yeah, spreadsheet there, son. Oh no. Um, also, spreadsheet like we're we're already like that's that's already getting too complicated. Okay, all right. Spreadsheets take like, a step back. Yeah, let's zoom out <laughs> a little bit. How many steps back? How big is the like? Are we talking about the origin of numbers? Are we going <laughs> hang back on, hang to on. some bullshit? What's the that? difference between numbers and maths? Is this a joke? 
No, this is actually something that's really important. It ends so with you, uh, your mum. Uh, <laughs> got him. So um, this is going to make you want to puke. But you don't... God damn it. Math, so mathematics requires numbers, but numbers does not require mathematics. <laughs> that's upsetting. That's already upsetting. How does that make sense? Because so what, we, what we're talking about is like the distinction between trying to like solve problems or like conceptualize or categorize like things and objects, geometry, algebra, all of those things. That's sort of mathematics, right? Numbers are just the digits. Yeah, I know, but like, okay, so mathematics includes like one plus one is two, right? That's still mathematics. Yeah. So you don't have two without one plus one. That's just, you yeah. can't have- uh, Of course you do, because if you can see two things and you conceive of two things, then you have the number yeah. two. So, just- yeah, this is what I mean. So <laughs> You only know that it's two because there's two of them. Right. <laughs> two ones. So what is a number? It's a really great question. It's a really great place to start. Uh, but I want to just quickly start with, you already said that it makes you want to puke. Yeah. How do you feel about numbers, Sam? Um, look. Okay, <laughs> Look, in really, no, fairness, no, in fairness the thing is, is that like, I, I see myself as a, a qualitative person, mm-hmm. but um, I've actually recently discovered that I, I have kind of a nicer relationship with numbers and number and, and maths than I thought I did because I had to do it for some of my research. I had to use statistics. And of course, statistics is something that everyone's like, mm-hmm. and I understand that, that and I also share that. But I had to solve some problems in that. And in doing so, I sort of kind of found myself kind of enjoying solving that problem. Um, and yeah, so I, I guess, and then I remembered that, you know, I've been following election results and remembering numbers from 20 years ago in particular areas. And that's that's a kind of interesting use of numbers as well. So I, I guess even though historically when I was like um, in school, like really didn't like maths at all and avoided it as much as possible, um, it's possible actually, we just didn't like maths teachers at all. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but I think this is why this is why I like kind of dis- making a distinction between numbers and maths. Okay. Because I think numbers are just simply a representation of information. So they're a mathematical object. They count, measure, label things. And so numbers are just a way for you to understand objects, right? Mm-hmm. So like in terms mm-hmm. of election results, they let you know like the percentage of votes in, in terms of like- How worried you should be about the culture of the people yes, surrounding Yes, exactly. Um, in terms of like, say like you're buying a piece of furniture, the numbers allow you to understand how much space it occupies. Yes. That's not maths. That's just a numerical representation of your world. So that's really interesting because it basically means that numbers are essentially like a, like a word. I mean, I suppose we, mm. they are words, right? <laughs> well, so, what an interesting segue you've made. Oh, God. Um, so, I'm, num- I'm scared of yeah. that face, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there will be maniacal laughing at some points no. in this entire thing. So, you can think of numeral systems in the same way as you can um, with writing systems as a language. Because, um, and I do have uh, visual aids for this audio. Oh, audio yes, podcast. once again, okay, this is yes. part of the course now. Yes, um, so basically a numeral system is a writing system for expressing numbers. Um, and <laughs> depending on, and there's so there's going to be a lot of technical words here, I will explain them all. Um, she says, probably not explaining them all yeah. as we go. Um, so it depends on the base notation of your numeral system. Okay. So we live in a decimal system, which means we have 10 unique digits. Mm-hmm including the number zero, which we will come back to uh, probably. <laughs> okay, just quickly before you go on, digit, all right? The etymology of digit okay. is just Latin for finger. Uh, like digitus. Is, 
Oh, right. Mm, yeah. Okay. That so digital sense. just means like fingery anyway. Oh, okay. wow. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> but um, like, so in terms of like why we have like, you know, most humans, not all humans, but most humans have a base 10 system is because like, I mean, the word digit sort of feeds into that, right? Mm. Like we were counting and that you've got the number two in front of you. So you hold two fingers up. You've got, so you've got decimal. <laughs> the other most common one is binary. So that just basically means you're, so that's how computers work and they use a zero or a one as unique digits. So basically your base notation tells you how many unique like digits you have, how many mm-hmm. unique symbols you have. So you can have like, there's cultures that have uh, 16 base systems. There's ones that have 20 base systems. Do you know why those ones are? Um, I know <sighs> that the ones with 20 base systems is because they count with their fingers and their toes. And so they just mm. use both, like all of their and all 16, of their digits. Sixteen ones are like the reverse to thumbs and. Well, so eight and sixteen they count between the spaces of the fingers rather than the fingers themselves. All right, yeah, but about, okay, the, the very idea of even trying to conceive of a base sixteen system, I can taste metal. It's like it's, yeah. I don't. Yeah, like because it. In th- this is important. So if you're confused at this point, think about our base ten system means you know you count up to nine, and then once you get to that point, you get to a new set because you don't have any more symbols to c- convey the next number. Which we call ten. So yeah. you have to go. To so you have to go. That's sort of. Um, that's what we call ten. It's a grouping of the whole set of digits. Mm-hmm. And then you say, oh, there's twenty because that's two of those. Mm. And so that's the way in, in English it's counted. Um, you know, and in Japanese it's counted kind of similarly. You get up to ten, and then the words for you know twelve are ten and two. Yeah, mm. and obviously, like if we if we want to talk about the way that you could like r- like express like vocally or like uh, in a written form express numbers. French has a very interesting system where they- um, From 40 upwards. Well, they basically, they um, they use like addition in their expression of language. So uh, expression of numbers. So when they're talking about like vont, et, on, or, oh, yeah, you know what I mean? Right, so they do yeah. like 20 and eight rather than yeah. 28 as a number that we would say 28 as a, as a number. But to, just to get back to numeral systems for a second. So a way that this was described to me is, so the, the physical representation of one, one, like just on a piece of paper, we would view that as 11, right? That number would be 11 in our decimal system. 10 and one. 10 and one. So in a binary numeral system, that would actually be representing the number three. Disgusting, yeah. And in a- a, It's it's barbaric, isn't it? Yes. And in a unary system, it would be the number two. So a unary system is a system in which there's one, so there's only one symbol. And that's a line. And that would so, be like when you're doing your little groups of five, you know, when you're doing groupings, a tally would basically be that. Tally, tally marks. marks. Tally. I got it so right. So <laughs> unary system is actually a really beautiful way of understanding systems, but this is also, so this is a, for those who are listening, um, I'm showing you basically the various ways that people do tally, tally marks, marks from, from around, around the, the world. world. And so depending on where you are, you are going to use tally marks differently, but they are still em- employing um, a unary system. So they're still using a straight line. Isn't that <laughs> Hangman? It's, well, the Wait, China, Hong Kong, one... Japan, Korea one looks like Hangman, yeah. Yeah. And they, they I, so we, so if you're from Australia, Europe, North America, or Zimbabwe, very specifically, um, you use the classic like, Four, four lines. vertical lines with a diagonal through them. Yeah. Um, I kind of love the square one that Brazil, France, South America, and Spain use. Yeah, it just draws a square and then puts a line across the middle of the square. Like, no more numbers for you. No more numbers. <laughs> we, got, we got up to five stuff. Yes. And then the um, one that's from China, Hong Kong, Japan, and Korea actually are really interesting because they obviously reflect the pictographic language systems that 
they use. But isn't that, wouldn't that be a five-based system then? Because you make a group of five and then you move on and then you count in groups of five. No, because the unique symbol is the same. Okay, gotcha. It's the symbol that matters. It's the fact that it's a single line. And so um, do I have, well, actually, yeah. And The so, number five looks like the letter E with a rocket pack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, so what gets really complicated is when you get beyond single digit numbers. And this is where we get into things called positional notation, which is essentially going like ones, tens, hundreds, thousands. Mm -hmm. That didn't exist until somebody conceptualized that. You see, somebody was real smart. Someone was like real smart. <laughs> I, I wanted wonder to make a note on the French thing you said before that it's like, Yes. The way that you would say like, hang on, what is it? 79. Yes. I think it's like 99, which is like 40, 20, 10, 9. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> like I really don't like that. Um, but I could so, be wrong about that. No, I think you're right. That sounds about right. Fuck yeah. So um, when we're talking about the positional notations, something like Roman numerals is actually a really great way of helping because we're talking about a system that is not a decimal system, but uses positional notation to depict something. So they have different symbols depending on if it's a one, a 10, a hundred or a thousand. So they have the single line is ones, you've got V for five, but you've also got X for 10. Mm -hmm. And then you just go repetition of X, repetition of one, repetition v of v. v. So, and then you add those up together. So if you've got three X's and I actually might have an example. I don't have like an example. XXVI would be 26. Yes, yeah. XXVI would be 26. Um, and then I think there's a C is 100. 100, yeah. So if you went like CXI, that's 100 and 11. And 11. Yeah, um, and M is 1,000. M is 1,000. I only know this because at the front of old books, instead of saying the year it was published, it often just says, you know, um, the, the year in Roman numerals, so it includes an M. I only knew that because like the, the like old churches and old school halls and things would have memorial things on the side and they always had, mm. you know, Roman numerals as the, the year or the year yep. since. And I think Roman numerals are another really good example of how numbers are detached from maths because you can't actually do math, maths with Roman numerals. They don't work that way. But it reading it literally is maths. Well, I mean, it is because it's just like it if you've got a bunch of X's, that's like there's one, two, three X's and that's that's three times 10, which is of course 30. Like that's but literally no, But maths. that's not what they would be doing. That's not what they would be doing. Because whoever came up with the system let, is let what me, they're Let doing. me put it this way. If we have the number 30, right? That is the English language way of saying 310. Mm -hmm. um, and if you were learning English from a language that didn't do that, it would be counterintuitive. So you'd be thinking, why are they doing this mass all the time? And we would be thinking, no, because when we look at the symbol 30, we just have the meaning 30. of 30 in our heads okay, so, because we're not actually right. conceiving it of okay. 30 things. So <laughs> before you're saying that like numbers can't exist, numbers don't require mass to exist, that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like, you're saying you look at the table and you can see there's two beans on there, right? Yeah. Um, or as Baldrick would say, a very small casserole. Um, <laughs> which is so the uh, that's a blackout reference, everyone. Anyway, so the um, like you can't picture thirty things on a table. Mm. So like whoever's coming up with a number above the group that you can imagine in your mind is using maths. There's no fucking way that you can convince me otherwise. Okay, so. I mean, I agree with you. I think that the person who developed the way that we categorize and label things was probably using maths, but now it's reached the point where it is just a symbol. Okay. But to, use an, to use another analogy of this, I was in the Roman numerals side of things. Um, I remember we talked a long time ago about uh, like literacy in 
the Roman times and what that would have meant. Mm. And you think you've got these coins that have a certain thing and how would they know what the coin is worth? How would they know what how many coins you needed on a sign or something to buy something from the market? Um, and it's because they didn't have zero literacy like an average person in Rome. They had limited literacy so that they saw a sign on, on, a, on a wall and they knew that meant temple. Mm. <laughs> they knew that meant... Um, Apples, whatever. <laughs> or the abbreviation um, of names, they could actually go, oh, I know what AG means. That means yeah, yeah. like Augustus, which so I know they, is not So they the know the meaning of it because that's the purpose of language. And it's because numbers are a part of language, that's the purpose of those two. So you're not thinking, again, you're not thinking about 30 beans. You are just thinking about the concept of 30, which is now an abstraction that language has invented. Yeah. Mm. The same reason that you're not thinking about the entire workings of government when you say the word government but you're thinking about the idea of government. Yeah, and depending on the tone in which you say that word, it takes on a wholly different meaning. It's just like government. So- Government. I've got another really handy dandy visual aid. This is the last of the ones. So it's, you know, there won't be any more. What am I looking at? So this is def different ways in which you can represent a numeral system. So you've got the Roman numerals, you've got other languages sort of approaches to demonstrating language. And then at the top, you uh, to demonstrating numbers, then up the top, you've got our system. Mm -hmm. Our system is the Hindu Arabic numeral system. So, but prior to the development of this in the fifth century, we were using kind of Roman numeral esque things, we being Western European people, mm -hmm. um, and where our number tradition stems from. So, it was Arabata of. Kusampura. Okay. Can wow. I see, can I see yeah, this one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is one of these ones where I have to, I want yeah. to see it. So it's this this bad boy here. Kusampura? Yeah, that sounds better. Yeah. Um, so he, that he developed the place value notation in the fifth century. So that's the thing that I was talking about, about, you know, depending on the position of the value. So if you've got the number 304, right, mm -hmm. you would read that as 304 because of where it's sitting in relation to the other values. Mm -hmm. Um you know, if you've got the number one, four, it's 14 because the one is in front. So that's taking up the 10 slot mm -hmm. and the four is taking up the one slot. And that's how our numbers um, are communicated. And that's how we understand our numbers in this positional notation way. Um, it wasn't until uh, a little bit later, I think it was the sixth or seventh century that Middle Eastern mathematicians extended the system and included fractions and the decimal point. So... Yeah, that's actually wild to think about because um, like if, if you've sort of grown up numerate and you've gone to maths class in school, decimals are just like a part of, of um, yeah, numeracy. Fractions, like, fractions and decimals and the well, changing yeah, between money. the two. Yeah. Like in our money contemporary, we use decimals. So it's decimal currency, you've got the decimal point, it's got little bits of the big thing. And it's kind of crazy to think about not having that, you know, like, um, you know, in a Roman numeral like notation, yeah, you don't have you parts don't have hearts, of something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the point where you start to realize that doing maths, like you're doing calculations for like to build a building or something in Roman numerals would be really annoying. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other that's thing- That's why that tower's all wonky. Yeah. yeah that's, that's the problem. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. it. Um, the other thing that was introduced in the fifth century was the symbol for zero. So uh, right. Roman numerals don't have a conception of zero because they- Pre and this is this is where I agree with your understanding of maths and numbers being inherently interlinked. The only reason why you would need the number zero is to do maths. Or to like 
address poverty. <laughs> that they weren't doing that. They weren't. They were not about doing that. that. Oh, fair enough. Um, and so <laughs> the number zero is a really interesting number because it is. I wrote the most cursed note. Um, <laughs> Please share. Zero is considered a real and imaginary number, and I fucking hate the concept of an imaginary <sighs> number. Why would I'm, they say something like that? Oh, what is that? I have to ask. Okay, so this, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I have to, like, it's my job. Um, so an imaginary number is something that it was indecipherable, but I think is the square root of a negative value. So it's a concept that can't exist, but it does exist, but it can't exist. I don't understand. Okay, okay but let's it's just, just cut to the chase. Imaginary numbers is, is like mathematicians painting themselves into a corner and then going, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with a yes. The system I've created is my own downfall. But I think like when you look up the like numbers in their origins, like you get a lot of like mathematicians like... um forgetting that the world doesn't speak their language yes. and saying things like that yes. that are like not helpful. <laughs> and when really it's just like zero is a word that means nothing. <laughs> it's like, is a lot simpler to yeah, understand. Like, yeah. Then it's and a real so, and an imaginary number. And it's the square root of a negative nothing and my head's exploding. <laughs> but I, I do I do want to sort of run through like different different <laughs> kinds of kinds of types of numbers because I think it's hilarious. So you've got um, a real number. What's a real number, guys? It's uh, what do you think a real number is? It's Two. one that exists. <laughs> All numbers exist. What's a real number, though? Whoa, that's surprisingly profound. What's <laughs> Thanks, <it? laughs> babe. Um, so it's an, a value of a continuous quantity that can represent a distance along a line. No. And it can include rational, irrational, and transcendental numbers. And don't worry, I will explain what those are. <laughs> no, that's just, it's just like, can you hear the whoosh? <laughs> I can, yeah, yeah. It's, it's there. So basically a real a real number is basically something that can be, I think it's distinct from a discrete value, um, but it's a, it's a number that you can, that ha- can take any point real on. So it's, it's a non-imaginary number essentially. It, yeah, so I, mean, I like, haven't made it up. But I mean, you, that, <laughs> for that to be helpful, I have to know what an imaginary yeah, number is. Yeah, I know, is. exactly. <laughs> um, and that is the real fundamental problem with numbers uh, is that you have to understand what they're saying to understand what they're not saying. Oh, God. Um, and so you, then what's a rational number? So a rational number is a number that can be expressed in a fraction, which doesn't seem rational to me because fractions suck. Does it? Do, do, but... Um, because <laughs> and it, no, no, no. Okay. Series of incomplete sounds. <laughs> and but that is because that is only because it needs to be understood in relation to an irrational number, which is. <laughs> you, guys, you guys are losing it. Over I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> okay. I regret it. This this episode's going to get really existential really quickly. Um, so an irrational number cannot be expressed in a fraction. So it's pi, the golden ratio, and like something like the square root of two or the square root of five, something that is like a non-perfect square root. So like the square root of nine is a perfect square root because three times three is nine. Okay. That entire branch of mathematics is jerking off because like <laughs> I haven't even- numbers exist because things exist and <laughs> therefore anything that is a number representing stuff that doesn't exist is jerking off. Okay. I just want to I just want to bring this to to a point here about like the cool thing about numbers and this is why we started with by saying numbers are essentially <laughs> language it's essentially like words yeah and maths is just a form of abstraction that we use to deal with them like it's all like made up like you said that you know um, without numbers like uh, maths can't exist well then without humans numbers can't exist either. Like they're a human way of seeing things. Vomit. I haven't and even gotten to the worst of these definitions. So all of this, so all of this madness is trying to make sense of the 
abstract infinity that the concept of numbers opened up in the human yeah, mind. Yeah, painting yourself into a stupid corner. Like <laughs> yeah. the, and then the making of, planes go. <laughs> but, yeah, somehow. But the, okay, so the, the like the, looking at pi as like a you know, looking at numbers and realizing that there's this thing that we can't quite do. So pi is a transcendental number. Okay, so it's a transcendental number, but it, it's basically the, the equivalent it of like, around. it's like Big Bird standing in the middle of the street in Sesame Street and seeing the, the big flyer that has the alphabet of it and seeing it as a word and going, Abkadefka Jukumanokra Suvwik says. That's, <laughs> that's what pi is. It's just not, you know, it's just, whoops, that's not true, is it? I don't actually have my phone on me. I, just I have realized. another thing about pi that I want to say because we're talking about humans um, using maths and using numbers things and um, one of the things that comes to mind in, in the ancient world is architecture and we were just talking about Roman numerals and the thing I'm talking about now is significantly before the time in which we're talking about ancient Rome um, and it's the pyramids so the great pyramids of Giza are like that's an icon of like ancient wonder building and of architecture and and like they used maths cleverly to create this shape but there's a few things that's really cool about it one that I want to say for time scale here, like this is a thing that was designed and built um, between 2600, um, yeah, around 2600 BCE. But they didn't know that because <laughs> no, they didn't have those <laughs> they didn't numbers. Have numbers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was it just was, Thursday for them. I actually didn't know this is a basic <laughs> Thursday either. <laughs> well, how would you know if the weekend was coming? They didn't have weekends. Fucking unions, come on. <laughs> so this thing is massive, right? It's 230 meters squared at its base. That's big. It's a huge structure, but this was actually done really accurate. So they lined this up. It was, it was squared. It like real accurate. It was real accurate. Um, I think its average error in length for each side of the square was only 58 millimeters on it. Damn. That's pretty good. That's good. Yeah, all you need is like 40,000 mostly slaves, and then you can build this thing. But they were very, very smart about it. Um, the cool thing is, is that not only were they really um, exact in how they created the slopes up the side um, with their own units of measurements, that there's this weird mathematical coincidence in which the ratio of perimeter of the pyramid to its height is 1760 cubits by 280 cubits in a ratio, which is two times pi. Because it was lunchtime. <laughs> Just fuck off. Yeah. So <laughs> when I say it, so so pi is actually a really really interesting, like, quandary. It's it's an interesting thing because so it's, as a as a transcendental number, we can never know the full expression. So the again another really cursed fucking description: a non-algebraic that is not the root of a non-zero polynomial. <laughs> no, that's bullshit. But what that basically means is when we're talking really about but particularly irrational trans transcendental numbers is there is absolutely no way for us to ever know the exact value of pi because it is infinite. It has an infinite number of- That's kind of humbling in a way. I know, it? it's yeah. beautiful. It's like something we can't possibly comprehend in its totality. <laughs> this thing we made up that broke. Yeah. yeah like. um, and unfortunately, I, I actually, I don't have my phone on me, but there was a person who, who remembered, I think it was 70,000 digits of pi as a record of someone who's actually memorized pi. I used to know the first 16. Um, I don't know if I can do that right now and I don't, I don't want to- Do it, no. no. But basically, <laughs> pi is just, it's it's because we can't possibly know its true value, we can never perfectly know the circumference of a circle. 
Yeah, because we're always, <laughs> the thing is, okay, so, you know, like you'd, you'd learn in, in, in school, you're like, oh, here's how you calculate a circumference of a circle or something like that. And that's always an estimation because maths is always an estimation. Like we're always like trying to figure out the most exact thing. I told you I was going to get existential. <laughs> the closest to exact. Nothing exists. But, I'm going to stop using numbers. Do you think that that's possible? No. Um, but I think what's really fascinating about that though is then you have people like Aristophanes mm-hmm. who managed to pretty accurately calculate the circumference of the earth in uh, like 200 BC uh, by using arcs of a circle and he wasn't that far off. I think his, um, I don't know if you'd be able to interpret this, Samuel, being a statistics person. I fucking hate statistics. Don't call me that. Don't, don't. <laughs> Someone who don't employs do. statistical methods. How's Better. that? <laughs> okay. Um, so um, Aristophanes of Cyrene. Kareen, would it be a soft C if it was Greek or a hard C if it was Greek? You're asking the wrong. Actually, it depends on the mood. Surely... There isn't a C in Greek. What are you talking about? Oh, maybe there is. I don't fucking know. Well, anyway, <laughs> Why are you asking me? It's not like he I studied it. He was a Greek polymath um, and he had my dream job, which was the chief librarian at the Library of Alexandria. I want him um, Yeah. So and as Sam described him, the he's basically the owl from Avatar The Last Airbender. Like that's the role he but served. He's, yeah, the wise But owl. That's he, why the library burned. He buried it. Yeah, too smart. uh, Yeah, okay, well, that's canon now. Um, So he determined (laughs) the Earth's circumference was around 40,000 kilometres and his value basically because they they had to estimate what the length of a stator was. So a stator is a unit of measure that they used to use in Greece. We mentioned it in the Olympics episode because that's what they were running. That was the length that they were running. Um, But there is some contention about what that value translates to in kilometers. So they kind of did like a, it could, he was estimating a value from either this to this, which averaged to 40,000 kilometers, but his error was basically like between negative 2.4% and plus 0.8% to the actual value of the circumference of the earth, Whoa. which is pretty phenomenally close. And he just did it with, you know, pen and paper, so to speak. No. So what he did was he used an arc measurement. So he had um, two uh, stickies, obelisks type shapes. Um, in two cities, Alexandria and Cien. Um, And at noon of the summer solstice, they measured the angle of the shadow cast by the sun on the vertical rods in each city. And then he got someone, people called Bimatists, which were specialists in measuring distances by pacing. These people existed. They, the coolest. They just paced and accurately like a, measured. a great job. Right. They calculated the distance as accurately as they could between Alexandra and the, between these two vertical rods. And then he basically determined what the arc of the earth was. And then just continued to extrapolate it. On extrapolated until he got. But I mean, the thing is using using that method to, to calculate something like it, when you just read it in order like that, it just sounds like somebody doing a black magic ritual. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> the two obelisks and on the solstice we shall walk and it shall be 10 paces and no more. The shadows shall join and yeah. darkness shall come. Yeah. yeah. And the earth is actually. But I love that because it's kind of that, um, you know, scientists throughout history, you know, maths has been this like, way of creating certainty out of chaos, like trying to be like, okay, we know the earth is big, right? And from the perspective of ancient Greece, they didn't really need to know this information. Like they knew that they had not seen the ends of the earth because the furthest they could have possibly sailed was very, very far away. And it took a while to get back if they ever did. So why would they need to know the circumference of the earth? So this is like a guy just going, this is for pure science. Yeah, he was just vibing. He was just like, I need, I'm bored of being a librarian. I need to do other things. 
There's a quote from the um, intro of a book I was reading um, by Bobby Seagull called The Life-Changing Magic of Numbers. Um, and he was describing his childhood passion for um, football and using football statistics because, you know, his friends at school would be, uh, you know, like just sort of making just nonsense arguments about, oh, this player is better, this player is better, I reckon, I reckon he's a better striker. Um, and so he got into statistics because he could say, I can prove which one's better. And so he described it as like what numbers gave me was certainty in a world of conjecture. And I thought that's a really, that's that's actually, he chimes more with um, ancient scientists like old mate when there's obelisks of doom. Mm. Aristophanes. Yeah, Aristophanes, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah Aristophanes, yeah. And then, I mean, and there's obviously uh, another well-known ancient Greek scholar. He was actually um, Ionian Greek. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of him. Have you heard of him? Pythagoras, are you guys aware? <laughs> Um, I don't know if you've heard, sure like, you've heard of him. He's really like <laughs> maybe you've heard. Maybe of you've heard of him. Um, he was the bane of everyone's existence in about year ten. <laughs> um, and he is an interesting guy. He obviously developed the Pythagorean theorem, which is the right angle tri. I wrote here what a the triangle thing. <laughs> I love the idea. It's just like name it after me. Uh. Yeah. So <laughs> this guy actually has an interesting an interesting journey that he goes on because around 5 so he he was around from 570 BC to 495 BC so he's old dude um and around 530 BC he traveled in southern Italy and founded a school which was a secret society in which everyone lived a communal ascetic life which means that they basically existed with absence of sensual pleasures um so so numbers only for breakfast. Lunch and dinner. Lunch and dinner. Yeah. And and all he could think about were triangles. No, so what he did was actually quite a lot of the things. least sexy he was, shape. <laughs> he was very, very busy. Um, so because he didn't have to worry about other things. He was just numbers all day, every day. So he devised the doctrine of musica universalis. It's like the equivalent of just like a cold shower, just like nine AM yeah. to nine PM. <laughs> did you not just hear what I said? <laughs> About musica, musica universalist, universalist, which was the mathematical equations. Uh, it's a black so, metal album, sure. <laughs> someone should. Um, the planets move according to mathematical equations and resonate to produce an inaudible symphony of music. Gorgeous, right? Amazing. Obviously, Pythagoras theorem, the triangle thingy. Um, he also is responsible for the um, Pythagorean tuning, which is about the pure perfect fifth. I don't know if you know about the pure perfect fifth. We all do. Do we? I don't know about the pure perfect fifth. <laughs> what I'm learning is you can't say fifth. <laughs> Not when I'm saying pure perfect and then I have to say fifth. Um, he also, def- okay, this is this is the f- bit that I really love. There's I mean, two we've things all heard that I really the Star love. Star Wars theme. Um, so he devised the five regular solids. Just the five regular solids. So they're the tetrahedron, the cube, the octahedron. Of course, the ones I think about all the time. The, <laughs> the regular solids. You know, the classic yeah. ones and the icosahedron. Everyday solids. But these are That's associ- what you look like if you, you, you gotta, if you're inspecting your poo to make sure that you're regular, you have to look for the five regular the re- solids. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's like, um, where's my octo-fucking-hedron? <laughs> but these were associated with the classical elements of earth, air, water, fire, and what was later defined as um, ether. So once again... Black magic. Yes, black magic. But the other thing that I I love so much is that he was the one that proved that the morning and the evening stars were actually just the planet Venus because before him they thought it was two different planets like fucking idiots. What a bunch of of ancient genius idiots. Yeah. (laughs) What's really cool as to why too because it's because Venus is closer to the sun and so it's flipping in around between the sun and and as a result it's also low in the 
It's the morning and the evening star because it's low on the horizon. Plus, I think Pythagoras secretly was probably thinking about Venus more than he was allowed to. <laughs> yeah, I think that was his excuse to think yeah. about Venus. But also, he got in trouble for that discovery. It's because sure. of the retrograde that happens with the way that our planets are aligned as well, that it seems as though it's walking backwards because we're overlapping. Anyway, that's not <laughs> yeah. what this episode's about. Um, but the other thing that, because obviously when we're talking about numbers, you have to sort of get into maths. Um, and so I, do you want to know what the el- etymology of um, algebra is? More than anything in the world. Okay. Though. So we're going to do a little ch- cheeky little etymology break. Um, Give me words. <laughs> so algebra comes from the Arabic algebra, which means the reunion of broken bones or bone setting. And it was. <laughs> black metal album. That is so fucking appropriate. You just, you just can't call a black metal album algebra. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, you can. This came from the 19th century uh, book written by Persian mathematician and astronomer Al Khwarizmi. Algebra. Which was titled Ilm Algebra Wa Il Mukbala, which is the compendious book on calculation by completion and balancing. Um, it gorgeous. sounds like something that would sell on a white cover at the front of a bookstore. Like, yes. So within this work, <laughs> algebra, algebra referred to the operation of moving a term from one side of an equation to the other, as one does in linear algebra. For those who are familiar, am I right, guys? Am I right? You know yeah. what I'm talking you about. You could well be right. Yeah, I yeah, do. Um, <laughs> I, I am. And Al- No, you must logically prove that you were right. <laughs> Al-Mukbala um, means balancing. And it refers to adding equal terms to both sides. So, that makes so much sense. Yeah, and w- because I understand what linear algebra is, um, it's exactly what you do if you're wanting to find, so line- linear algebra is trying to find an unknown value from an equation that you like, anyway. It's extrapolating from incomplete data. Exactly. And what you basically do is you group like information together and then you use that to figure out what the unknown is. And so what you're doing is you're moving things from, one side of the equal sign to the other, and you're grouping like things together. So you're moving and balancing. Yeah, because it's always equal on both sides. Yeah, yeah and so- a splint that's on so a clever. broken shin Well, <laughs> really, really excellent um, uh, thing to recognize is that it was actually a term that was referring to a surgical procedure of setting bones, uh, dislocated or broken bones, and wasn't used for a mathematical meaning until the 16th century. In, in like- uh, In, in English. Glass. In English. So the term algebra- mm-hmm. Whilst in sort of, because we're talking obviously about the Islamic scientific revolution that happened at the time, which is why they, like at the same time they invented the Hindu Arabic numeral system, they were doing all of this math Yeah, and stuff. why their towers didn't lean. Yes, mm. that's why their towers didn't lean and had <laughs> cool arcs and stuff in them. And, and spirals were funky and, and spirals. cool stuff. Yeah, they had the cool vibes. Because they were doing some maths. They looked so like big ice creams. They were using the word algebra, mm-hmm. but the term algebra was previously used for a surgical tool in English language until the 16th century. Is that a coincidence or did it come from the same root? Well, because it came from the same etymological root, but took longer for it to become a mathematical term in the West. Um, so someone was being idea. very funny. Though. Yeah, someone was being funny. <laughs> doing a little bit of bloody algebra over oh, here. <laughs> I actually do have my phone. But I just love that because, you know, um, a- before this episode, we chatted to um, a friend of ours who's a um, math teacher at school and... Um, she really wanted to insist that, you know, this idea that things like this are, are invented for us to solve problems and make things easier. So this guy invented algebra or like a group of people and this guy wrote it down possibly, you know, like- That sounds about right. Yeah, you know, like invented this amazing way of solving problems that you can use in so many different circumstances. Um, 
and it stood the test of time. And here we are, and we've, we're adding to this idea. It's like it's a method of solving problems almost. And because yeah. doesn't Which the equal sign have... come from this? Yes, the equal sign comes from this, and it's it's integral to the. Um, and you require the Hindu Arabic numeral system in order to do this sort of work because you can't. It's because of the way that different cultures represent numbers, um, either through through complex symbols like, like the pictographic languages, or they they just have like a different structure of the way that they write down numerals. Um, you can't do algebra without Hindu-Arabic numerals existing. Mm. And they then invented the decimal point. They invented zero. They invented the equal sign. They invented all of the signs that we use, except for, I think, the division symbol. Really? I think it, it the actual one that we use now with the two dots is sort of like a retranslation of a different kind of division symbol. Um, but like a plus, minus, multi... I wonder if multiply actually did exist. This is a really interesting thing. Um, they all were invented by extension. They invented the numeral system first and then they sort of created these other symbols. Mm. I think it's one of those, another example of one of those amazing combinations of like scientific mind and practical mind meets super creative and kind of blends the two together yes. where it's just like innovating in any sense, whether that's like artistically or mathematically, scientifically, whatever, blows my mind because it's like you have such knowledge in a single direction that you're able to then like cast yourself into a world of, of chaos and go like, you know, mm. it's like, hey man, what, what are you doing? It's like, I'm just trying to like figure out what this nothing is. <laughs> like, I formed this paraboloid of, of abstraction. Well, I mean, and that's where my, my- I dreamed chaos and I'm trying to make it real. My relationship with math got really frayed when things became, like when we got into like beyond fourth dimensional matrices because you have to conceptualize space. <laughs> fourth dimensional matrices. Sorry, we, we didn't do- No, I know. No, no, but- um, No, I'm sorry. I just, That's science fiction. I just so, I I do have a fun <laughs> list of facts about pi, but the one that I really wanted to talk about just to just just to get to the point of how you're feeling right now. I'm, I'm, um, like, I, I want to make it clear that like I'm not playing this up. I am genuinely having gears stressed. grinding in my head and I feel stressed. Yeah, so the cal calculation of pi is a stress test for a computer and for Jim. And for <laughs> No, it's cool because pi is one of those numbers. So it's a number that appears in nature. So, mm -hmm. Okay, so the thing with the pyramids, right? Um, Egyptologists are not like, uh, they debate whether or not it was deliberately made so that the proportion of height to perimeter was too pi. Oh, so they're saying that there could have been it actual- It could have just been a coincidence oh, of creating a pyramid. <laughs> that, I mean, because of the relationship between like angles yep. and- I don't know them. Especially because pyramids, <laughs> so pyramids were originally, they were, so- if you know like the Sumerian temples, they're the step temples. Step thing, yeah. So obviously yeah, they yeah. make them as step temples first and then they fill them in. That's it's how they the do the pyramids. In like Teotihuacan. In, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so, but basically the Egyptians were like, we're going to one up that step system and we're going to just smooth it down. Turn it into a big slide. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so you sort of do wonder if it's just like, that's less to do with a decision about, you know, there's just like, if they go, if they have the square at the base of the, uh, pyramid a certain size, it can only reach at a certain, like the angle of the slopes can only be at a certain point to perfectly meet in the middle. And so that could just be, like you said, a natural phenomenon yeah. of the ratio between the square of a pyramid and the angle of the slope. Or they or, could have been being nerds. Yeah, I would believe that too. Um, but the thing is, is they're not really evidence that uh, Egypt's, uh, ancient, the, hmm, the people of the time and the smart people of the time knew about pi. It's possible mm -hmm. they didn't. 
Um, so like, they just had a sense of it. Like, it's just a whiff. It's almost more amazing that it could happen by accident, that yeah. it's just like, oh, it's exactly two pi because that's how maths work. And you're like, mm. wow, okay. They didn't have maths then. <laughs> it was built like 4,000 yeah. years ago. Yeah, and like when we're thinking about like ancient cultures engaging with numbers, I think it's, it's especially when you're talking about non-numeral system, like actually like the real world sort of how they would deal with the concept of value, for instance, like merchants trading and like exchanging money for things. They didn't have like pieces of paper where they were drawing things out. They had things like abacuses. Mm, I don't yeah. know how an app, I did so much research about abacus. I don't know how they work. Listen, I've been to a lot of kids' playgrounds in my time. <laughs> and um, it's, it doesn't make sense. No. It's just, you're just sliding you things. Beans, because then- the abacuses that we think of now, they could be technically used as like a positional notation where the bottom like string has mm-hmm. 10 okay. beads on it, right? And that's, the bottom strings ones, the top string, like the one above it's tens. You know. Oh, so it's like multiples of tens. Yeah, sort so of you could use it like that. But the important thing to realize is that um, abacuses existed before the concept of positional notation. Okay, so mathematics so, is time travel and nothing is working. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure somebody knows how an abacus works, but we don't know I how an abacus works. I can't interpret it because they, they used to be flat on boards with grooves in them. Um, and... Um, they can be used to do addition and even square roots. I don't know how. Don't ask me how. Um, we'll do an entire episode on the abacus, but you guys can do it. <laughs> but they're still can. they're still used today. So they think that the etymology of the word abacus uh, dates to at least uh, 1387, but they think it's derived from the ancient Greek word meaning something without a base, which I don't what? understand. <laughs> or it's also- Baseless. Meaningless <laughs> trash. But what it also, the other word was basically just like a colloquial term for a rectangle. Oh, okay. Because they were on boards. Well, that makes way more sense. Wait, did yeah. you just say they were still used today? Yeah, yeah so they're still for used what? today. Like for By children's merchants. playgrounds? <laughs> By merchants. By merchants? Are they in, doing role play? In, like, in, come buy fine silk. Like in <laughs> Eastern Europe and Russia. <laughs> okay. They still use them. It was highly insensitive. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> all you can picture is the fucking Ren Fair. Like that's all, all you can picture is that. Um, and they're also sometimes used to score non- well, <laughs> non-electronic table games. They're also Wait. useful for those of a visual impairment oh. so that they can do math, Sam. Okay, so there's a reason that you should have said first. <laughs> yeah, why was getting there? <laughs> um, and right. the user of an well, abacus- we accept our ignorance and then we learn. The yes. user of an abacus is called an abacist. Uh, or maybe it's okay. an abacist. Because um, I expect you could get pretty speedy with that, whatever that is. Well, actually, they've done tests where they've proven that um, to a certain level, uh, using an abacus is faster for ad- addition and subtraction than just normal, like, handwritten. Oh, handwritten. Okay, yeah, yeah, obviously. Um, we found something nerdier than a Rubik's Cube. Yeah. What are the arts? Oh, here we go. I have actually, it has some practical purpose. Which they've also, they've also found that people who learn how to use an abacus properly have a better um, visual, visuospatial representation of numbers and so can actually do maths faster by, by, by their head. They can actually do mental arithmetic a lot quicker because they're visualizing it. I wouldn't be able to do that because I don't visualize things. But Yeah, that's um, true because it depends on, on how you know, you're abstracting something mm. in your mind. Um, I, I certainly visual, would visualize things and, and, you know, sometimes solving like number problems, I'll visualize some. That probably mm. is a slow way of doing it in some ways. Yeah, because basically the way that the way that they describe that functioning is because if you have this sort of visual spatial processing capacity, 
Um, and you can kind of visualize the abacus and move the imaginary beads. You're actually not moving the beads. You're just flipping your brains immediately going to what the final position of the beads are. So it's about memory rather than it's about calculation wow. in that same oh, way. In, in a way then, like the position of the, the beads on the abacus is like, if you're just remembering the image of it, mm. it becomes a symbol in itself, Yes. right? Yeah. In your mind, it's a it's a it's like a heuristic, it's a shortcut in, yeah. your, in your brain. Yeah. So that's sort of like- Wow. That's pretty much, we've gotten through almost all of my notes about just like how we got to where we are with numbers. And so Samuel, I think you're the one that looked into like, why, what do we do with them now? Okay, well, that's funny you should say that because I'm going to talk about what we're going to do with them then. Um, so <laughs> so we, we've talked about maths a lot and the applications of maths, but one of my favorite ways in which humans have used numbers and in, I might argue one of the most influential way in which we've numerically understood the world is time. Oh, God. So we're going to go through a different kind of gym panic now, um, okay. but we're all going to share it together. Um, I don't know any of, I have no knowledge of this. So like, it's, it's kind of funny to imagine a world in which we weren't measuring time, you know, and obviously there's, you know, there's tribal groups in the Amazon who don't have conceptions of time. It there's was also just, like, just, just relative time where it's just like, I'll do it later. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, you know, not all cultures in the world have always had the concept of linear time, mm. um, which is really interesting. How, hang on. Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that generally how we perceive the universe as a rule? Ah, but like when you, if you don't have a certain kind of language, you think differently. If you don't have a certain type of numeracy, you think differently. If For example- a certain type of mushroom, you think differently. <laughs> well, then no, I know that there's, um, there's a tribe in the Amazon that um, don't even, I think it's, uh, I'm not even sure it's classified as a base three number system because it's one, two, and many. So that changes the way you see multiples of anything. That's how trolls count in that, uh, the, the um, Terry Pratchett novel, One Too Many Lots, I think. All oh, right. Well, that might be slightly insensitive. Yeah, well, well. I, mean, I don't think it's intentional. <laughs> Probably not. But get back to clocks. Um, so ways of measuring time, right? So the, we measure time through clocks. You're probably picturing a mechanical clock. We've got one on the wall right now. Um, which I'll visually refer to, um, but you know, oh, right we, there, we've guys, actually done this right before there. in this podcast. I don't remember which episode, but so um, the the clock that's on the wall for reference, it's a round clock. It it's got uh, Hindu Arabic numerals, so one, two, three, four, five, six, all the way up to twelve. Um, and it's of course you know a, a cheap battery operated clock, yeah. so it's not pure mechanical. And mm -hmm. it's got a second hand, a, a minute, minute hand, hand, and an, an hour, hour hand. hand. That's the way. It's just like that's certainly my default way of thinking about time. It's not everybody's because some people just like maybe younger people now who see fewer analog clocks or just mm. see digital clocks all the time. They see it differently. So it's a numeric representation of numbers rather than a, like a spatial representation of time. Right. Um, but the earliest clocks were water clocks um, as far as we know. So the like a water clock, like the earliest we're talking about is 16th century BCE. That's 3,600 years ago. Um, and there was a, the, the Greeks called it a um, clepsidra. Um, which is basically the two words are like steel and water. <laughs> so I, I've just sort of think that means basically like leaky pot. Anyway, they're being kind of funny because um, a water clock is all just a pot of water that slowly leaks and that's how you measure time. So it's like a, an hourglass that happened by accident. Yes. Hourglasses come much, much later, later than you would think, probably because glass is hard to make. To make in that, um, yeah. yeah. So, so that comes so like late medieval period, you get hourglasses. Mm. So that scene out of Aladdin was some bullshit. It was probably there earlier, but I don't know. Probably the actually, I have to say it's because it was it was magic, wasn't it? It was a genie. It was magic. It was a yeah. genie watch. It's there. not real, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I have yes, a question. Didn't they also use candles as timepieces? Indeed. Oh. Also, incense clocks. So in um, oh yeah, in I East Asia, that. yeah, India, they used an incense clock. So it's literally just like a, you burn a stick of incense, and as it burns down at an even rate, and of course they were constructed to burn at an even rate. 
Mm, the technology really required. Um, yeah, so water water clocks are really cool. I, I like, I uh, think, so the early records of a water clock is in Babylon's. Um, and this is really cool because most of the records we have at Babylon are like clay tablet records that are really banal. You know, like we talked about a Babylon thing in maps, you know, a big clay tablet that was uh, um, a map of the world. And, that's, and it had that epic story on it. Epic. A lot of Babylonian records are just like receipts. <laughs> so the receipts- They got those receipts. <laughs> in this case, we have kind of receipts that are sort of payslips. They're more or less payslips because they were, they were a tablet record of how many, how long a night guard worked. Because you need a water clock at night, there's no sun, there's no way to see the time. So you need to measure time somehow. Mm. And you need night guards to guard your temples or whatever. And so you pay them via what we would call the hour, but they would call the manor because they would measure it by volume of water. So, mm. you know, like your shift is two mana long of like two cups of water mm. long leaking from this pot, which is really cool. Um, so mechanical clocks come way later, but before then you have to think about why, how we're actually notating this because a water clock that was, we were just talking about volumes of water, right? And then think back to this round clock we have here with the minutes and seconds and go, why is it 12? I try not to ask those questions. <laughs> why the day is 24 hours long? Why are they divided that way? And then think about this. Okay, <laughs> think about this. So this clock divides into two even portions of 12 hours. Yeah. But then the minutes and seconds are not divided by 12. They're divided by 60. Mm-hmm. I'm scared. Why, Jim? Jim I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> clocks are constantly falling and therefore accelerating. <laughs> yeah. If it's, you could hear what was beyond the TikTok, all you'd hear is just, ah! <laughs> Please explain. You can't just leave us sitting in this Okay, state. so <sighs> some of the earliest ways of measuring daytime is in ancient Egypt. And it predates sundials because that's a Mediterranean concept. They had a sun bar. They had like a bar, a tea bar mm-hmm. stuck in the, in the ground. I think I've drunk at a sun bar once or twice. Oh, fun. This is different to that. Okay. This is a wooden <laughs> tea bar. And uh, so that it would work exactly like the sundial. You're measuring shade but they broke down the shadow into 12 pieces. Why? It's because the ancient Egyptians used a base 12 number system. Get fucked. So that was their counting to 10. It was just as intuitive to them as counting on their hands. And they used a base 12 probably for like counting their knuckles or something along there. It's actually mm. not exactly known why they had a base 12 number system. Um, so they used a duodecimal- 10 fingers and two for good luck. <laughs> oh, or two hands, I don't know. They could um, have been counting between their fingers and on the outside of their hands. Oh, two hands make sense. One, one two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then you count up your fingers. Yep. Oh, oh, cool. Good anyway, rationalization. Take that, Egyptology. I'm sure there's many theories. Um, <laughs> no, 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 I'm this right. One's no, right. We nailed it, we nailed it. <laughs> I got it. So well, that's called the duodecimal system, by the way. That's oh, a cool yes. Name. Love um, duodecimal system. And it also could have been because there's 12 phases of the moon. And Isn't that that's what they use in a library? And we can talk about that in another episode. I will happily do that. Okay, okay. So they counted that in 12 intervals, but they also counted the night in 12 intervals, not just because of the number system, but because of the 12 stars that were the visible ones that they could track. Oh, I like the 12 phases of the moon and the 12 stars system. I think that's okay. neat. So the Mediterranean system, they were still working off the same measurements of time they were on the scientists of the past. So they were using that 12 hour system to divide a day and to divide a night. They still considered those two different things because the ancient people didn't have any reason to think day and night were connected. They were two different realms. What? Yeah, wait, no, so wait, they didn't wait. count. So our clock here, the day begins at 12 a.m. Mm-hmm. That's a contemporary extra- abstraction. Contemporary is in the past, you know, a few thousand years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh my God. So, you know, in the ancient, Ancient Egypt and ancient Mediterranean, 
it would have started as the first hour of the day, the first hour of sunlight, which is why days actually shrank and they, they counted different amounts of hours in winter as they would in summer. Of course mm. they did because they were meaningfully different to them. I hate this. So the 24-hour day, <laughs> the 24-hour day was actually, <laughs> uh, it wasn't proposed until Hipparchus of Greece in the second century BCE. And he suggested, it was entirely theoretical, which was like, why don't we just do it 24-hour days based off the equinox? So it's even the entire time, which is a similar system to we use now. What a legend. Am I right, guys? Okay, so that's, so that's why we have 12-hour days is because of the Egyptians. Why do we have 60 minutes and 60 seconds? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> now, this is this is my favorite bit. Okay, so Hipparchus and scholars like him in that time were basing their knowledge of astronomy off the Babylonians and they had a base 60. How could you have a base 60? Sexagesimal. Sis- they had a base 60 sexagesimal system. Nice. Um, <laughs> how, okay, okay. How would you count that? So you've got 10 fingers, 10 toes. Are they counting like feet, legs? It's, no, it's nose hairs. Oh, it's nose hairs. It's nose hairs. Okay. We don't know why the Babylonians. No, no, no. Jim just said it's nose hairs. Dude, I'm on No, no, no. The only reason we have is because the Sumerians used the base 60 system. Oh, for crying out loud. And we don't know why the Sumerians used the base 60 system. And that was 2,000 years old. Wait a second. Is this the the first instance in which people were just like kind of going like, they seem like they know what they're talking about. Let's just keep doing that rather than innovate. We could translate this to a uh, decimal system. Yeah, we'll do it later. Um, yeah, and apparently I'm told that it's good for fractions because the first six numbers and the 60 are divisible by each other. So that's kind of handy. Anyway, I don't really understand that. Um, the, the point is, and this is my favorite thing, is so these you know Greek scholars who are using it to theoretically break up the hours that measured on a sundial were using that Babylonian base 60 system to divide up that. And that's because they were doing it for astronomy. They were using it based off Babylonian science in astronomy and geography because ancient Babylonians and ancient Greeks and many ancient people didn't differentiate between those things, between time and the stars and land were all the same because that's how you measured time, through things changing, through the, the sun growing. and shadow and how the stars. How long it takes to get to a certain place. Or what's yeah, yeah exactly. Was and a time how time changes as you travel as well. So oh, they wouldn't have so conceived sick. a difference between those two things. So they use the same system to measure time and geography and astronomy. And we still do because maps are measured in base 60 in degrees and minutes and seconds on a compass. It's like, oh, it's, oh what the fuck? <laughs> so wait, they were kind of doing time zone-ish stuff before they had a conception of time zones. Yeah, so clocks, maps, globes, GPS use a division oh, of 60 this. because of the Sumerians. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> no, I don't know. What? Okay, know. okay. I didn't expect to have existential dread in this episode. Look at that clock again. I love that, like, Sumerians. <laughs> time itself has time travel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm in it in seconds, by the way. I'm not, I'm, I'm not fucking I'm not, finished. I'm not <laughs> fucking finished. All right, go on. Sorry, it's an etymology thing that made me want to put my head in my hands okay. so, of minutes and seconds. Because I was like, where do these Were you not there from? already with this? No. Oh, fuck. With the minutes and seconds? <laughs> yeah. All right, hang on. Well, I'm going to say it anyway, because I'm sure plenty of people don't know as well. So minute is just Latin for a little bit. So it was a minute, as in minute yeah. part, yes. which is spelled the same way in English. Mm-hmm. Um, second is because of, you know, one of the Greeks who was figuring out how to make maps using base 60, um, Claudius Ptolemy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's 
it's it's just, it's just Ptolemy. Ptolemy. <laughs> <laughs> um, of 150 CE, provo- uh, he, he was working on Hipparchus's system of 360 degrees for longitude and latitude, dividing it into 60 parts and then 60 parts again, which would be a system we still use. Um, and just the same way that they were theoretically dividing time. And he called these two 60 parts as partes minate prime, the first minute part. And the second minute. and And the partes minato seconde, yeah. the second minute part. Being the 60. So is the 360 the prime? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the 60 is the second. Yes. That so it's saying you're breaking down the first division of 60 is the minute. first minute, minute part, the minute. And then the seconds are the second minute, minute part. part. As a subdivision of the, oh my God. It's so obvious uh, because of the word second is literally the same. Yeah. It's been there the whole we time. We use it the exact same way. Right in front of us. Wow. Okay, so what I'm realizing now is that um, the only reason that we invented maths and numbers is because it, we needed to experience time in a straight line. So basically <laughs> I exist at the same time as Hipparchus. Nothing is real and we're all dead. Um, what have you done to me? Guys. Yeah. The minute I, and second today have a fixed definition. So they used to, for a long time, um, have a globalized definition of one eighty-six point four thousandths of a solar day. So it's a, that's an astronomical definition. It's pretty much the same as the ancients. You're, def, you're basing it off the stars. You're basing it off the sun and the, and the cosmos. Mm-hmm. Um, but since 1967, it has an atomic definition because a second is defined as how long it takes a cesium atom to go through its transitionary states 9,192,631,770 times. Why? Because it comes to a second and very, very accurately. <laughs> okay, but. Maybe you it's just like, told no, because like we're taking that back down to Earth because I feel like existentially it's unwise to start measuring relative stuff to do with ourselves and space. Yeah. Uh. So you told me a very cursed thing about that, though. <laughs> Um, again, it's the, there's a lot of cursed knowledge in this. In it this, is a cursed subject. About the atomic second and the fact that it's technically mathematically accurate. Yeah, but it needs leap seconds. Yeah. So you know how like we have leap years every four years, we need an, an extra day so as the years make sense with astronomical time. And this is important. It's not on the fourth year. It's after four years has passed, which yeah, I found out Yeah, they actually got that wrong. Um, in the, when they introduced the Julian calendar, apparently they did it on the fourth year and they just fucked it which up. Which isn't the leap It's meant year. to be on the fifth year because then four years have elapsed. Anyway, so we need leap seconds uh, in order to keep our time in line with the stars. <laughs> well, why don't we just use the stars? So, okay, so eight minutes per decade are not 60 seconds long. They are... 61 seconds long. You're not imagining it. Does that mean that I'm older or younger? (laughs) Older. (laughs) Wait, wouldn't it be that you're younger? No. Because the date and second and time that you exist in- I got an extra second every eight years. Yeah, exactly. It's before you would have been otherwise. Oh, I hate this. I've had so at least much. I've got like four and a bit extra seconds. I'm not on even you guys. sure if I could take in any more information about yeah. numbers at this point. This is, we got so look at all these pages Sam yeah, has I in know. front of him. We're fucked. Yeah, we're okay, die. so <laughs> mechanical clocks. Yes, right. So mechanical clocks are a really hard invention. Um, but my favorite thing about them, again, in just keeping what we were just saying, um, they were used primarily for astronomy before they were used for timekeeping. So they were invented by scientists both in China and Europe to measure how um, the stars and planets were moving for various cosmological and scientific reasons. 
I love the idea that it all stems from like somebody lying there looking at the stars and just like noticing night by night uh, <laughs> as a part of a ritual. They're staring up at, at at the night sky, not sleeping, like some insomniac, and just looking <laughs> at it. And just like after like the fourth or fifth week, just just huh. And then now we have clocks. <laughs> <laughs> huh, that oh my god, it moved. Um, huh. yeah. No, so the first fully mechanical water clock, because water clocks were dominant for a very very long time until we come to the pendulum and stuff. Because you need to power this movement, right? So the water movement powers this. Um, the first fully mechanical water clock was invented by a Chinese polymath named Su Song in 1092. 1092, and he called, it was called the Cosmic Engine. Okay, first of all, fuck yes, I'm so down for that title. Yeah, good title. <laughs> That's like a it's probably prog, better in it's Chinese as well. Like a prog rock album title. <laughs> yeah, Cosmic Engine colon you know <laughs> yes. part one. The tripartite of something or other. You know, I'm not feeling <laughs> particularly sounds, creative, but you know like what a, I mean. That's like a sci-fi novel. Well, I mean, it's it's a prog album. Yes. Yeah, so it used like the movement of water and mercury to create mechanical and move cogs and then then move an emulation of the solar system like an astrarium. So okay. it's, it's an astronomical calculator. You literally can move parts and what will happen if X, you know, what will happen if in this time, what will happen then? So it's really cool because the time and the, and the stars are just linked. And at the same time in Europe, roughly speaking, um, European scientists are doing something really similar where they're building asteriums using um, clocks. And where clocks were really taking off though was in Europe was in churches because um, monks needed to keep track of time because they had a series of rituals. And at that point in European history, in like the 1300s and 1200s, that's a really important part of the wider society as well. Mm. So When the bells ring. Exactly. So they needed... In, to keep track of those times, they did use previously water clocks, but then suddenly in the 1200s, the record nu- uh, use of clocks in, in the records skyrockets. So there's, they're clearly using clocks and like we don't know what kind of clocks that they were using. So this is clocks is a different thing. This isn't astronomy. This isn't like um, the movement of the cosmos and maps and stuff. This is organization. It's ritual. It's much more familiar use of time. Just mm. kind of knowing where you are in your day. So starting with these like lofty genius level people developing a system to measure things that are greater and far beyond our understanding even today, down to like, oh, I'm late. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, shit. <laughs> oh, I'm late. Yeah. I was meant to blame. Um, but it's still really inaccurate. I mean, partly because the churches were not Did actually using- the concept using- of being late you know what I mean? It's like, could you be late before we could measure time? No. It's just like, who's to say? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Where have you been? Who's to say? <laughs> They'd be like, oh, just arrive for, you know, a little after dawn. like Relative time, yeah. Just a little after, yeah, after like th- yesterday's dawn. By the cock's <laughs> Um, Yeah, so also the church was using a different kind of hour to everyone else, canonical hours. Um, I don't know what they were, but they were different to Wait, the so way they didn't have a 24 hour day? No, they had a different measure. Oh, oh, fucking oh, um, but we're not going to talk about that. Thank goodness. But the big change comes with the invention of the pendulum. Yes. Um, because time is suddenly accurate. Previously, time was like, oh, cool, we're measuring it. It's happening. But now it's actually accurate. And this is the point where um, seconds actually matter. Minutes and seconds often weren't betrayed on early clocks of any kind because they weren't close enough for rock and roll. You know yeah, I mean? exactly. I mean, the ancient Greeks and people later who were using seconds, it was all maths. It was all just, they were, it was all just breaking down, uh, you know, uh, arbitrarily and, and abstractly like an hour. A sundial can't measure a second. Mm. It can barely measure a minute. Mm. Um, and a water clock suddenly can't accurately. So um, the pendulum meant that we suddenly had accurate clocks. And this is happening from the 1600s and 1700s. And 
Um, so you start to have a situation where society is being governed by time. Because mm, you, you could be late. Yeah, because you <laughs> yeah. have like, oh, you've got clocks in the middle of the town square or you have clocks on the like in a public place where everyone knows what time it is. Like, and you think about, like, if you think about Brisbane, um, the the council, what's it called? Town Hall? Brisbane Town Hall? Is that what City it's called? Hall. City Hall. City Hall. Mm. Um, it's got a clock up the top, doesn't it? Sure Am it I does. right? Yeah, of course yeah. it does. <laughs> and okay. it chimes. Oh. It's got bells. Yeah, it's it obviously does. been a while, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was in the city yesterday. My God. Um, yeah, and so, like, you could use that because not everyone had, like, a watch or a phone. So that would be the mechanism which you would use to time others and yourself. Mm. It's fascinating. She's like, what time is it? You run all the way down. The <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was 10.35 when I got there. I don't know what yeah. time it is now. Or you do the thing where you're just like, oh, I didn't take it in. Fuck, I'll be back. I'll be back in a second. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't a coincidence that like, a, this is during the Enlightenment period in Europe. This is the same period that um, science is taking a, a newly found hyper-rationalist approach to everything. Mm. Everything can be measured and organized and it's the same time as like European countries are trying to conquer things around the world and um, control things around the world. And so suddenly time is a, is a method of control in itself because they exported that kind of timekeeping all around the world. One of the many reasons why we still measure time based off Greenwich in London. Mm. That's UTZ zero. Right. Okay. So what you're saying is that numbers were a mistake. Is that, is, that where we've, is that where we've ended up here, Sam? Numbers are like our entire existence now. I tried to, before this um, podcast, I tried to think, oh, what are the contemporary examples of like the use of numbers and maths? And it's like, I don't know, literally everything because computers are so enmeshed with everything we do. And like, mm. you know, the sound that, that everyone is listening to right now, you're all listening to, you know, digital waveform that is broken up using numbers via specific pattern so as to replicate actual sound. And so the only, like this invention, the use of this thing could never have existed without the concept of numbers. Mm -hmm. No, no, because we could never have solved the problems that mm -hmm. are inherent in that. Yeah, and even even things like, um, you know, recreational things, like um, just playing something like Yahtzee requires the concept of numbers, requires an understanding yeah. of probability. Mm. Baseball couldn't exist unless you could keep count of how many runs you've done. No, and you could still hit something with a bat. Yes, but like the actual game. <laughs> but you wouldn't know their ops percentage, would you? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> wow. So we are really like just living in a, in a world that is entirely governed by the concept of numbers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a, um, aforementioned uh, math teacher friend told us a fantastic thing to say, which was that... Um, Maths is a universal language that we can use to solve problems. And I, 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 that stuck with me because I was imagining, um, you know, two shipwrecked uh, traders in the Mediterranean in 1312 or something. Mm. Let's say that the two survivors don't speak the same language, which might happen. You know, I don't know. Just stick with me here. Okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, they're trying to fix out how to you know, rig a sail with half the cloth that they currently had. It's a, basically a problem to solve. And they're arguing with each other. They can't understand. One speaks Italian, one speaks Arabic. Um, and, you know, they have a connection to each other, but they haven't really found themselves yet enough to know it. If only they'd communicated better. But the point is, <laughs> is that during their fight, one of them loses patience and just grabs a stick and just you know, draws a circle in the ground and, you know, uh, with, with lines around it and Hindu Arabic numerals. And the other person goes, oh, like that's what you meant. Right, the sun's <laughs> over the yard, I'm time for a beer. Gotcha, yeah. Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't think humans would have ever figured out um, how to conceive of time, how to plan and navigate on the ocean, how to build an airplane or 
um, how to count runs in baseball without this way of thinking. Mm. And so I, I can't imagine humans without it no more than I can imagine humans without language. Nuts. Absolutely not. So I, I like the universal language concept of it. I mean, there are, of course, people like me who it's like, again, it's not just that I'm rejecting the concept of learning because, of course, I'm not. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. It's just that for me, whenever, uh, like, particularly the first half of the episode today, like, was, was happening, all of that stuff just, it bounces off the way that I visualize things in my head. And <laughs> so it's like when, when you talk about the storytelling aspects of time, you know, like your two guys on the beach or mm. the fact that we measure um, uh, a guard in... Babylon's, you know, <laughs> hourly pay rate based on the water clock that's next to him. All of a sudden, that that sort of like sits with me well. But when you get through to the next layer below that of how these things are constructed, I, I literally cannot conceive of. Which is why I'm always so amazed and impressed by the creativity and the genius and the practicality of these people who developed these systems mm. thousands of fucking years ago. I think it's amazing. Um, I'm fried. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> my brain is like properly fried. This is the first time we've reached the end of an episode and I've got like, I don't know if I can put a sentence together. Uh, Thanks for inventing maths past people. Thank you, friends in the and past. Numbers. Who are ex obviously because I'm now rejecting numbers and therefore time. Uh, they exist <laughs> at the same time as me. So I'm thanking them in present. We'll catch up for a beer sometime. Yeah. Or, or I mean, I don't know. Actually, how does this work? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. It's been great having you hang out with us. Uh, you can find us on social media at... The Music and Everything podcast on Instagram. My brain is so frazzled. It's so funny. <laughs> I'm like thinking word by word right now or at a TMIE podcast on Twitter. We will see you next time. For now, it's goodbye from me and the Sams. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care of each other and we'll talk to you soon.